Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network and Major Domo Media. That was Yola Tango, and today I am lucky to have the great snowboarder, maybe the greatest female snowboarder of all time, Chloe Kim, recent gold medalist of the PyeongChang Olympics and someone that I've gotten to know a little bit over the past year. I talk a little bit too much about how we met. We met at the NBC studios and I made her a churro ice cream sandwich that got a little bit of the news, but it was not what I wanted to do. And if anything, even though I, I don't know Chloe Kim that well, I'm weirdly like trying to be a better older brother type figure to her and protect her as much as I can from the nonsense that's out there. And I really admire her. She's endured a lot to get to the gold and to where she's at and who she is as a person and what she represents as not just a great athlete, not just a Korean American, but someone that I think is representative of, you know, not being pigeonholed and excelling at that and defying sort of what your stereotype might be. And Chloe Kim is Chloe Kim. And uh, I wrote her sort of Time 100 induction piece for the past year. She was honored in the Time 100. And in it, I was saying, just like Chloe Kim be Chloe Kim, she's had to endure a lot. She's had to carry the burden of being a representative of Koreans and Korean American culture and snowboard culture. And at the time, she was only 17. So much of what I believed was everyone wanted to dictate how she should be and how she represents Korean American culture and being a role model and having a little bit of that myself, even though I'm much older than Chloe, I wanted to make sure that she got to write her own destiny. And, uh, you know, the same thing, she doesn't need any of my help, but she's been doing it just fine on her own. So I was stoked that we reached out to Chloe and she agreed to do this because I think she's a role model for everyone, including myself as to how you can write your own narrative and sort of defy the expectations. And I was really stoked to have her on board. And without further ado, this is my conversation with Chloe Kim. I am really stoked to have Chloe Kim on as our guest today. She's currently eating a cookie. <laughs> Sorry about the chewing. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. So last we saw each other was in the NBC studios in the Olympic Village in Pyeongchang. I just remember your face being like, I think it was like, what the hell is going on? It was a lot. Yeah. Um, after I won, it was like, okay, really excited. I'm happy I won. I want to go see my family, but I couldn't see my family until after the awards and all that stuff. I remember turning. My sister's just bawling her eyes out and not pretty crying for sure. And then saw my parents briefly, and then I just had to go back to my room, change into our media outfit. And then we got shipped away to the coastal village to do press for like five, six hours. I just was like, holy hell, like the entire world seemed to be following your moves from every tweet that you did to winning the gold medal, which we'll talk about later. But I remember hearing from the producers because we were doing stuff for the NBC Olympics that like, hey, Chloe Kim's coming around this time. You got to do this, this and this. And I was like, man, no disrespect. I want to leave her alone. Like, I'm sure everyone wants to talk to her and she's just going to have this release. So I remember being like, I'm going to avoid her as much as I want to like talk to you. I was like, nope, I want to give her her space. And then you came in, there was a big hush in the offices 
And then I just left on the, the Mike Trico show. And then you were going right on that right after me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm having like a cup of coffee or something. And I don't remember who it was, but one of the producers was like, hey, like you shouldn't like meet Chloe. I was like, listen, I want to leave her the hell alone for like the 20th time. And I'm weirdly competitive. Obviously, you are. <laughs> and then someone started throwing me shade. Like one of the producers was like, you couldn't cook for Chloe Kim. You couldn't do this, this, or this. And I was like, I don't know what happened, but I snapped. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to go to the commissary, and I'm going to make you churro ice cream sandwich <laughs> out of pizza dough. And next thing I know, it happened. I somehow am like in this room, and then you walk in, and I was just like, oh, this is an incredibly surreal experience. I have no idea what's going on, but now I have a glimpse of what your life was like. <laughs> Dude, that churro sandwich was so good. <laughs> I was saying you should add that to your dessert menu at your restaurants. I would love to, but it's not something that I would ever want to do. Like, that's just something I don't do. But it has been even before the Olympics, and then you win the gold. I'm trying to find words, which is why I want to hear from you. What's it been like winning the gold and to where it is now? Like, it's been several months. Like, what's been happening? Um, I mean, I guess I'll just talk through the whole process. Late 2017, I was like, okay, like, Chloe is expected to win the Olympics in the country that her parents were born and raised. Before I even knew I was on the team, I was already talking about being an Olympian and going to the Olympics and hoping I'll do well. And it's not that I wanted to talk about it. It was more like, that's just what we had to do because everything that I talked about at those interviews was going to be released during the Olympics. So it was like, just thinking like, how terrible would it be if I hype myself up like this and I don't even make the team? Personally, the whole qualification process was a living nightmare. Like I was so scared and I was so nervous every contest. Thankfully, I won the first two, which guaranteed my spot. But I was still so terrified. Can you talk a little bit about that feeling? Like everyone probably expects, and myself too, is like, oh, she's definitely going to win this. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine the crazy pressure that's under. How do you deal with that? Yeah, you know, it's not like (laughs) you win by being the best in the field. It's not like you win for having the most votes or like being the most likable person at the end of the day. It comes down to how good you are at your sport. And for me, like, yeah, I mean, I definitely did pretty well before the Olympics, but I've never competed at such a big in a, such a big event before where everything was so much more formal than our normal contest, carrying around a credential. Even those little things made me feel so out of place in a sense. So, yeah, I mean, I was definitely very nervous and even frustrated sometimes about just having so many people expecting me to win something I've never been to. And I'd keep telling myself, it's my first Olympics. Like, I just want to do the best I can, but if I don't win— that's fine. Like, as long as I'm happy with the way I was writing, then I'd be okay. But, you know, go on social media and everyone's like, Chloe Kim, favored to win gold at the Olympics, like would be the youngest snowboarder to ever win a gold medal. And I was just like, why do you guys do this to me? Like, I'm just doing what I love. Why are you trying to change the story and just add more pressure to me? Like, I don't like pressure. I never really felt pressure until the Olympics. And I didn't really know what to do with myself. But, I mean, I was with my team and I was with my friends and people that I trusted. And um, I just made sure to keep those people really close and feel as home as possible. You love snowboarding, obviously. But at some point, was it like, hey, there's a lot of great things that have happened because of it. But right now, all the baggage 
this is making it not worth it? Oh, absolutely. It's like I started snowboarding because I loved it. And for the first time, it almost felt like a job. And I felt like I had to provide for everyone in a sense. Like it wasn't, it felt like I wasn't doing it for me at one point because of all my fans. And even, you know, a lot of Korean people had very high expectations. And um, I'm very grateful for that. When people expect you to win, that's, you know, it's a pretty good thing. But at the same time, I just didn't want to let anyone down. And um, I've never really felt like that. So just (laughs) the first few days at the Olympics, I just felt very out of place. But we got to the village first, and then we had a few days of downtime before practice. And that I was so nervous then. I was just like in a new environment, a little scared. Were you staying in the Olympic Village? I was. Wow. I was. And, you know, I'm just adapting to this new place that recently got built. You know, our our showers were pretty cold. Like it's it was just a very interesting place to be in. And like I said, I just felt so out of place. But when practice started and I was on my snowboard, I felt like myself again. And so I think that really helped me put down good runs. Did the wind affect you? Because it was incredibly windy during the Olympics. <laughs> you know what? During our contest, it wasn't that windy, but there were definitely a few gusts. As a snowboarder, you kind of learn how to read the conditions. So whether that's waiting a few minutes or... But yeah, that's scary, you know, because it's not something that you can do. You can't tell the wind to stop before you go, right? right? You either get really unlucky and you drop in and there's a big gust that blows you out of the half pipe and just off the venue. Or you can get really lucky like I did and avoid it. But, you know, it was just crazy because every contest I'm pretty nervous. And just having that pressure on top of being nervous on top of being extra paranoid about the conditions, you know, watching the flags move pretty fast. You're like, all right, well, this could either be a great time or a terrible time. And how did you zone it all out? Because I genuinely was feeling so sorry for the pressure, especially being Korean American in Korea. That was a lot. And I I can't believe that you crushed it as well as you did. How did you tune all of that out? Because it was crazy because everyone knew what you were listening to, what you're eating. (laughs) It was just a Chloe Kim 24-7. And as entertaining as that was for everyone else, I kept on trying to figure out how is she internalizing any of this? I've just been competing for a long time. So I think when it comes down to it, I know how to block everything out, whether that's listening to my favorite song, talking to my coaches, calling my parents. My dad was a huge part of my journey. So when I got nervous or if I was frustrated with something or if I was scared, I would give him a call and he know what to say. But it did kind of suck, you know, because I feel like I was, a lot of people did have very high expectations. A lot of other people didn't have that pressure to handle because, you know, it, everything just fell perfectly into place. My first Olympics, 17, wasn't able to go to Sochi because I was too young. So my first Olympics are going to be in Korea and I was favored to win. It was just like everything was lined up perfectly. And I feel like when that happens, I get really nervous. Right. You know, it's like when you're playing an arcade game and you're so close, but then you hit the button too soon and it doesn't match up and it doesn't work. So I was nervous about that. And I was definitely being very superstitious. I was like, this is the best scenario ever. But if I don't do well, then it's just done and it's gone. And I totally messed it up and it's going to be all on me and I'm going to be really bummed out for a while. But, you know, I just had so many thoughts going through my head. I 
didn't really know what to do with myself. I would snowboard and then I'd just come home and take a nap. Like it was a lot. I don't know how I don't have gray hairs after that <laughs> one because I was so stressed out. And and that's the thing is I think besides winning the gold, what I admire most about what you've been able to do was you carried that burden. I don't know if anyone can ever understand what you went through, particularly that perfect storm of being Korean American in Korea. And I don't want to trash Korea. It's not what I'm trying to do, but Korean people can be at times the most unreasonable people that I know. I mean, I have two Korean parents, so <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's like, no, but you know, it's a cultural difference. And um, I grew up in a household with two very Korean parents. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in a situation where I could experience two different cultures. You know, I had the Korean culture at home. And then when I walked outside, it was American. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I do love Korea. So definitely didn't feel any But like, is there a conflict? Is there tension? And I'm what? 22 years older than you. Holy hell. <laughs> and you're at a completely different position in life than I will ever understand. And your maturity and what you've gone through. But one thing I think that remains the same is the conflict of how the public or people around you perceive you as Korean or are you American? And I don't want to speak on your behalf, but tell me if I'm wrong that you're like, I'm just me. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I did struggle with identity for a while. I didn't really know what to call myself growing up. And you know that it's kind of crazy, you know, when you're when you're a young Korean American girl growing up in the States. I lived in Switzerland for a couple years and I did face a lot of hard times. Like I was bullied a lot in school when I was in Switzerland because I was the only Asian in the whole school. And um it's just not something that an eight-year-old should deal with. Right. But it happened, and I think it made me a stronger person. So when I got back, you know, it really did open my eyes. And um, for a while, I just didn't really know what to do with myself. I was freaking embarrassed to, like, speak Korean with my dad, for example, out in public, like, around my friends. I was embarrassed because I thought it was a bad thing because I was picked on at school for being who I was. But, you know, after a while, I was like, you know what? Speaking three languages, you know, Korean, English, and French— that's pretty dope. Not a lot of people can do that. So I think when I was about 15, I just started to embrace it. And, um, you know, now I don't feel that that embarrassment anymore for being who I am. And um, and I just realized that a lot of people just think I'm really smart now because I can speak so many languages. And <laughs> that's pretty cool. Right. So I think if I could go back in time and just tell my eight-year-old self that don't be embarrassed. Have you been bullied ever since, like other times in your life or picked on outside of Switzerland? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, I'd get picked on all the time for my eyes in school. And it's even in America. Oh, yeah. And I went to a Christian school. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Some kids are just mean. Some kids just haven't really been around people from different heritages. I, I don't know what it is, but um, it wasn't fun. Like, I was so young. It's not fair that I would cry myself to sleep because of the way I look. There's nothing I can do about that. Right. It's not something I can go and change. Like if someone didn't like the way my hair was or the way that my, I don't know, like my nails looked, you know, that's something I could change. But when I was given this, when I have these eyes and this nose and um, just this whole face, that that's not really something I can change. So I think I was just so frustrated because it's like there's nothing I can do about this. And um, I felt really caged in for a while. Like I felt... I felt imprisoned and I just didn't like who I was. And, um, you know, I'll keep saying this, but it just wasn't fair. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. It's <laughs> always disheartening to hear that. And 
people think of you as the this gold medal winner that just crushes the competition, but there's a lot that came before that. So thanks for sharing on that end, as hard as it is. But I spent a lot of time really disliking the fact that I was Korean. Even though I lived a very Korean lifestyle, I didn't fit in with Korean people, and I didn't fit in too much with white people. I played competitive golf when I was younger, and that was like before any Korean played. And you snowboard where there's not that many Korean Americans or Asian people now, maybe more now than before, but like, are your peers mostly white or are they Asian? Yeah, they are mostly white unless they are from Asian countries. Right. Um, Yeah, I mean, I got my first X Games medal when I was 13. I got second place and I went to social media, like posted about it. Yay, I'm so excited. I got silver. And then I see all these like racist comments like, oh, you Chino, something like that. Or it's like, go back to wherever you're from, like go back to Asia or something like that. And just saying these really disgusting things. And I was just like, wow. I do something that I'm really happy about, and this is how people treat me. Like, that's not cool, you know? I worked so hard to get there, and the f- the only thing you can think about saying to me is the way I look, and I think it's pretty messed up. <laughs> it is incredibly messed up. <laughs> and these are grown people, too. Like, it's not kids anymore. They're, like, grown adults who are saying these things, and I was just like, that freaking sucks. Did that force you to be better You know, yeah, for a while I was really angry and I'd tell my parents about this and they're pretty upset about it too. And they're just like, why has the world come to a point where you see a 13 year old achieve something so amazing? And um, only thing you talk about is how she looks like she's Chinese. Like, that's just not right. And yeah, I think it did make me a stronger person because at the end of the day, I started to realize that I'm going to do everything for myself now. And that really did change my whole mindset and the way I saw things. And now I'm just not insecure about the way I look anymore. Like, I've just learned to embrace it. Amen. And what I think that's amazing, it's not like you're making art per se, like a book or something where it's very subjective. You are competing with all skin colors, all nationalities, and you're and you're winning. And that's as objective as you can get, which is why I love sport. So I don't think it's fair to, to typecast or to say your past had so much to do with it, but I wanted to just touch upon that because I sort of marvel at how you've been able to handle all that. It's a heavy burden to carry <laughs> for this many years. And you're only, you just turn 18. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, what are your thoughts now that because you've experienced all this, that you are a role model, not just for snowboarding, but for women, Asian American culture is like, are you reluctant to like embody this or? Uh, I Okay, look, I'm so lucky to be in this position where I worked so, so hard and I achieved something so great, something that I have been working towards for what, 14 years now. I started snowboarding when I was four and my dad was like, all right, we're, we're going to make her an Olympian. We're going to make her an Olympic, Olympic medalist, hopefully. And now that it happened, it's just, you know, I turn a lot of heads at restaurants. I go to the mall and see a few fans, and that just never really happened. But at the same time, I had to grow up pretty fast. Um, Like I said, got second at X Games when I was 13. Ever since then, it was just a lot of press. And then when I was 14, I won X Games and was winning a lot more contests. And at 15, I was just winning everything. And it's just like, it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. I was really happy with how I was progressing, but I just felt like I didn't get to live that much of a normal life. I didn't really go to school. I was homeschooled. So 
I don't know. I feel like my social skills are a little off too. I think they're like, just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're great. No, but I mean, with snowboarding and after all that, I was able to meet a lot of my really close friends now and that's been amazing. But, you know, I always wonder what homecoming is like at school. What, oh. what prom is like? What high school drama is like? Like, do you guys yell at each other in the locker room? Like, what what do you do? Like, what happens? And I, all I can, the closest thing I get to that is watching you know, 13 Reasons Why or something. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't understand it, but I want to. And it's something that I'm really curious about. But I feel like if I had the chance to go back, I probably wouldn't change a thing because what I'm doing is a lot cooler than yelling. It is pretty cool. (laughs) There's definitely some trade-offs. Homeschooling, how, how did that work out? Oh my goodness. I started in eighth grade, did terribly for like the first two years. Who's teaching you? Okay, so the first year I did it on this schooling website called CalPAC, and I did really bad, like so bad, because I, (laughs) at my school, when I actually went to school, I basically had these booklets. My last year at school had these booklets that I would do, and everything was on paper, all the instructions, like the lecture was on the same page as my homework assignments, and then I took a test in the middle, like that's how it was. And then I go to this other whole different schooling website where I literally have to sit there and watch a video and take notes of everything she's saying because there's no way to go back and reread. It's like... You're really studying. Yeah. No, like it's it's real. And I, I didn't really know what to do about it. And then obviously, it's not like I have a teacher telling me to do this. Homework is due here. It's like you do it when you can. And to me, it was like, all right, well... I'm going to go to the mall and then I'm going to go get food and then I'm going to go home and play with my pets for a bit. And then I'm going to do like an hour of school, which didn't work out because I just fell behind. And the last three weeks left of school, I was just hustling, you know. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, I didn't have the prettiest report card, but um, eventually I started school in Mammoth and they had an independent learning center. So when I was in Mammoth, I could go to the school and actually like have a teacher. And then when I wasn't, I could do it online. And um, if there was something I didn't understand on the online class, I could email my teacher and ask him for help, and he'd know exactly what I was doing, so he'd be able to help me out. But no student interaction? with No, really, I was supposed to be at school in Mammoth, but I think I was their first, like, very more successful athlete when it came to that. So they understood that I was really busy. So yeah, not not a lot of that. And on top of that, it's like it's been hard for me to make friends because it's like I don't really know people's true intentions. I'm like, are they trying to be friends with How me? How hard is that now? It's not that great. Like I'd love to just go somewhere and like meet a new friend and even like not having social media so they couldn't see how many followers I had or like how many likes I got on my photos. Like I want people to like me for me, like not what I do not for my day job. (laughs) So it is hard, but I've been meeting a lot of people like outside of the snowboarding industry, other athletes. So that's been cool, but I don't know. That's incredibly tough because I feel like I'm still learning all the things that you've already learned or going through myself. And I don't know if age or just living on this planet gives me an advantage. I think that you're incredibly mature and you've overcome something like wildly difficult situations and circumstances. So again, it's incredibly inspiring. And my heart goes out to you for being as young as you are and feeling like you can't trust people because that's such a crazy place to be at that I don't know many people can ever empathize where you don't ever want to let your guard down. Yeah. I mean, after the Olympics, 
all of a sudden, I have all these people reaching out to me from like old schools or like, I didn't even know I had other relatives. But after I won, it's like I have 15 cousins now. It's like, what what is happening? And it's like, you know, I learned pretty early that you need to be careful with who you hang around with. Like you have to make sure you, you know, know their true intentions because you never really know anymore. And um, I had a few, had a few like friends that I had to cut off because I just didn't feel like they were genuine. And, um, you know, it sucks. It really does suck. And I always am envious of people that that can trust people a little more easily, you know, just like a normal high school kid. It's like, all right, well, this person's cool. She's in the same math class as I am. Like, we study together and we, like, had a lot of fun together. And then I know this other person that I meet in the hallway of school. It's like, you can just trust people more. I feel like with me, it's like, I don't know who's genuine or if they're just reaching out because they want to be friends with Chloe Kim. Well, I'm happy to feed you anytime. <laughs> Myself, <Thank you>. anytime. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting to hear this. You are an iconic sports figure and everything that's been marketing and packaged about you is this like image of perfection and a champion. But I don't think people realize all the other things other than practicing on the snowboard that got you to where you are today. And it's really fascinating for me to hear. I'm like, my God, she just turned 18 <laughs> and she's lived the life of someone way older. Yeah. I mean, I'd expect to be wiser, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty wise to me. You know, I I love my life. I grew up snowboarding. My dad would pick me up after school to go nightboarding at this mountain called Mountain High. And it's about an hour and a half away from here in L.A. I just lived two completely different lives for a while. No one knew I snowboarded. <laughs> Even when I lived in Switzerland, we'd have a lot of breaks from school. So when those breaks came around, my dad would fly from the States to Switzerland and take me snowboarding. And um, it was really cold. <laughs> I was I just remember freezing my butt off every single day, crying because I literally thought I got frostbite on my fingers and my nose and my ears. And... Yeah, I know a lot of people are probably going to be like, oh, boo-hoo, she's snowboarding, she's cold. Oh, no. But really, like, it's just a completely different place because all of a sudden you take this girl that just goes to school to the mountains where she's doing a bunch of tricks and learning things and just living a whole different life. You know, having these new feelings about being competitive and being driven and being determined to do well at contests and learn new tricks and for a while, I got really mixed up. Like, I got freaking competitive with my sisters about who can go run the fastest. Like, I don't even know are my you, sisters. Are you competitive in everything you do? Do you have to win? Okay, I used to be when I was younger because I was in a place where I was like, I need to do well at these snowboarding contests so that my dad will take me to, like, Adventure City, like a theme park or, like, Knott's Berry Farm, you know? Like, I, <laughs> so I always got really competitive, but now I'm just like, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> We'll be right back after a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Today's Dave Chang Show is brought to you by Pangea Bed. Let me tell you about Pangea Bed. If you're a fan of podcasts, you've no doubt heard countless mattress ads. A bed in a box that ships to you right to your door. Well, get this. A group of furniture and bedding experts got together a couple years ago and decided to do something really unique. Create a mattress that's actually good. I can actually testify because I've used this in my new house and it's the best bed I've ever used. 
Like everything I do, this one is special. Pangea Bed is a copper-infused mattress with the highest ratings of any mattress sold online. Pangea Bed took the mattress in a box concept and took it to the next level. I love my Pangea Bed, and I know you will too. It's changed my life. Seriously, having good night's sleep makes me a better person. Shop online at www.pangeabed.com to get a mattress built by people who really care about your sleep. The mattress will be shipped right to your front door for free, and you can sleep on it for 100 days risk-free. Visit www.pangeabed.com and use coupon code CHANG for an additional $100 off the current promotion. Enter coupon code CHANG, that's C-H-A-N-G, to get $200 off any mattress purchase. The biggest discount available on Pangea Bed. Now back to our show. Going to snowboarding a little bit, do you ever just like ride without going in a half pipe or is it always a half pipe? When I'm not having a training camp or have a contest the next week, I'll stay as far away from the half pipe as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll go ride slope style sometimes, you know, rails, jumps, even backcountry when it's snowing. I, do you like that a lot? I love it so much and I really do want to go out on a, we call it POW, like a POW trip. So I think I really want to do that. And you know, well, what's preventing you from doing it? Because it's too dangerous? No, just don't have time. Right. <laughs> Actually, before the Olympics, I went to Japan. So I went to Korea from Japan. And I went at the perfect time, like early February. It was snowing a couple feet every day. So I just went out and basically had a huge soul cleanse. Like I just go ride powder. They had a half pipe, but I didn't even go near it. I didn't even try it. I would just go ride powder. And I think that really did help me. You know, I, because after a while, we had all these qualification events and training camps for the Olympics. And it was just like too much. That's too much. Like, I just want to go snowboard for fun and just really remember why I love it so much. And so I went to Japan. And when you're going down powder, are you like, because I love watching these skiing Warren Miller like videos. Are you doing jumps? Are you doing reckless stuff? I'm just turning. Yeah. And it's the best feeling, you know, you do the right turn and there's a bunch of snow that flies up and we call it face shots when you just ride through that. That's the thing about being a snowboarder. It's like you can't just focus on one thing. It's like you need to have fun too. And I do have fun in the half fight, but I feel like when you just do it for months over and over again, <laughs> it gets really, really repetitive and you're just over at one point. And, and that's what you call by training is training. Yeah. So tell me for the the listener, what is training for the snowboarding that you do? Okay. A lot of people do approach it differently. Um, I'm more on the lazier side. <laughs> so <laughs> basically I'll probably ride for a few hours, like three to four hours maybe. And then I'll just go home and watch movies, eat, go get crepes. But are you like practicing tricks outside? Yeah. Are you doing it inside? Or um, like, how are you coming up with all this stuff that you do? Because I say stuff, I, I don't know all the terminology. Yeah, I actually get into it really fast. Like when it comes to training, I, I'll only take maybe two warm-up runs and then I start working towards tricks and like maybe even learning new tricks. When I was a mammoth, I learned a new trick. And it honestly just depends on the day and how you're feeling. I usually ride for three days and then I take the day off and then I ride for another two or three days. And like when you say the day, you're you're doing the half pipe all day. No. No? <laughs> Maybe like, okay, it honestly depends on the conditions. If it's really sunny, the snow gets soft and um, it gets really bumpy. For the stuff we're trying to do, we kind of need it to be smooth. So we'll only ride in the morning, for example, and then just go home. Sometimes I'll go to the gym. <laughs> Sometimes. 
But I don't even think I went to the gym this season, like after writing. I was just so exhausted. <laughs> and I'm that type of person that'll think about the things I need to do and I just get tired from thinking about it. <laughs> we are the same person. Yeah, so I'll literally just lay in bed and I'm like, wow, I'm so tired right now. I haven't done anything at all but thinking about what I need to do tomorrow. I'm tired, so I might take tomorrow off too. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, um, but I do take it very seriously. <laughs> and what's next on the snowboarding? Like, are you, now that we're like present day, we're what, almost June. What's next? I mean, I read that you got into college. Are you going to go to college, defer? Are you going to continue on the snowboard circuit? Um, I'm not too sure what I'm going to do with college yet. I got into really good school, got into Princeton. And so I'm really excited because I feel like if I do go to college, I'll be able to live that high school life yeah. that I didn't get to have. And that's really awesome. But at the same time, it's like I really do want to snowboard and I feel like I'm peaking right now. So I need to just keep riding the wave. I think your life's pretty awesome too. <laughs> right now, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, life is pretty great. But I do, I do want to go to college. I do want to go to college, graduate. East Coast, there's a job. Can you still snowboard on the East Coast? It's pretty far away. Yeah, it is kind of far away. I'll probably just go to school for a little bit. I might even take, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to try to do both. And if it doesn't really work out, then I'll have to make a tough decision. How much of this is pressure from your parents? Because when I told my dad I wanted to drop out of college, go to cooking school, that was like the most real conversation I ever had with oh my, my dad. God. And obviously he won that conversation and I stayed in college. <laughs> but once I got my degree, I was like, all right, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And I think I want to be a dutiful son as you are a daughter. But like college, besides you having the social aspects, which are tremendous and important, how much of this is like, just the typical Korean parent being like education, education. You know what? My parents, <laughs> I don't know how I got these Korean parents. They're amazing and so supportive because I feel like a lot of Korean parents want their kids to go to a good school, become doctors, lawyers, real estate agents. I don't know. But my parents are kind of always like, do what you want to do. I don't think a lot of Korean parents would let their kids start homeschooling eighth no. grade. <laughs> I don't think so either. But my parents were like, we've seen what you can do. Like you have that. You're talented. And um, you could have a very bright future. And, you know, they always told me there are so many kids in the world that are good at studying. So many kids. But there can only be one Olympic gold medalist. And that always got me. I was like, oh, my God, guys, like I'm <laughs> blushing right now. Like, what? You're going to let me do this for real? But, you know, I, <laughs> I just want to be their perfect daughter, right? So they never really forced me or guilt tripped me to go into college. It was like, you guys sacrificed so much. My dad quit his job for me to support my snowboarding. Like, and it was really hard for my mom. So they both sacrificed so much to get me to this point. So I'm like, you know what? I won the Olympics. Now I want to go to a good college just for them. So they can say my daughter goes to Princeton. <laughs> but I did have the talk with them. I was like, look, like you guys know I'm at this point in my career right now. I'm still young. Like, I can go to school when I'm 35, but I probably can't go do another Olympics when I'm 35. Like, that's going to be hard. And they're like, totally get that. Understand. They were like, at least try to do both. But if it doesn't work out and you have to make a decision, we'll understand whichever one you decide on. And you mentioned peak, right? Like, as a cook, as a chef, I study everything that happened before me. And I'm always adamant that there's like a three to five year window where you're at your best when you 
feel like you can do anything mm-hmm. and it translates into the food that you make. When do you think the peak is for a snowboarder? I think it all depends. I thought I peaked when I was 15 and I was That's like crazy. And I was like, <laughs> "All right, well, now it's going to be <laughs> cuz when you think about a peak, it's like people always tell me you're on the top of the mountain when you peak, but the only way down is like you need to go down. And I was like, ah, no. But I'm also a little superstitious. I'm like, oh, no, like what if, what if? So I was 15, was winning every contest. 16 was a little rough. I, I actually did my junior and senior year when I was 16. School was a little more of a priority then that season. So in the contest, I did okay, but not as good as I could have. And then next year, you know, 17, 18 season, I was like, I need to get back up there. Like I need to start being on top of podiums again because I always like to think that if you just have consistent results, then like you'll just have decent results throughout the season. And so X Games was right before the Olympics. And I was like, I need to just win this for my well-being, like just to not be even more stressed out about the Olympics than I am. So yeah, I was able to do well there. But I've never been so aggressive about winning before to like this Olympic <laughs> season because I was like, I need to do well to be okay. But now I, now since I was able to do everything I wanted to, I feel a little more relaxed. And I'm like, I could get lost. Yeah, time. you should take, take yeah. some time. I think you definitely deserve it. <laughs> you have, what, Beijing Olympics 2022? Mm-hmm. And when do you start training for that? Or do you even have to, right? Uh, We're always training. Like, we still have training camps because it's kind of hard to take time off and then just come back and expect to be at the level you left So you're snowboarding, at. like, year-round? Basically. When, where do you tr- train when there's no snow? We're going to Switzerland in October. Wow. Very cool. Fondue. A lot of fondue. I love fondue. <laughs> <laughs> you have your sort of entire career and life ahead of you as well. And I can give you no life advice because, like, I just worked, right? <laughs> Only now am I trying to figure out how to do any of this normal stuff. But when I look at, like, your career or where you want to go in terms of longevity, like, LeBron's 33, and he's been to eight finals in a row. Serena Williams has been number one for year after year after year. Is that something that, like, matters to you? Or at some point you're like, I've done everything I want to do, and I'm out. Mm. You know, I started snowboarding because I loved it. I I never thought of the Olympics as a final destination. So I want to keep doing it for as long as I can. And, um, you know, hopefully win another gold medal at the Olympics. And that's never going to stop. I just feel like these PyeongChang Olympics were— Especially, especially, <laughs> you know, they something like that isn't going to come around again unless there's another one in the states. But I don't think there is going to be for a little bit. Well, some easier things to ask, like Isaac, the producer, wants me to ask about Twitter and how you share certain things that a lot of athletes don't. And part of this was like you're so like super competitive, and there's a lot of pressure, but you were able to just be like cool about it by like talking about it. You're tweeting live. <laughs> Yeah. Like that's that's sort of badass. <laughs> is, know, that, is that like a pressure release? Yeah, for sure. I'm always pretty real. I, I never have fake news on my end. Like I'm always 100% honest. I will tweet my feelings. I will get them out there. So I was like, you know, qualifications are going down right now. I'm really nervous. I'd way rather be eating or taking a nap. <laughs> Way rather. It was cold and I just could think about, I was like, all right, well, I'm really nervous right now. If I fall, I'm not going to finals and I'll just go home tomorrow. And that's really sad. So I just 
was leaning on social media to make myself feel okay. But I don't know. A lot of people ask me, was that like a publicity stunt? Like, did someone tell you to do that? And I was like, honestly, no. <laughs> like, even my parents were like, who told, did Laura tell you to do that? I was like, uh, no. Like, honestly, I was just being real. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was super cool. And food is something that you you tend to talk quite a bit about. And, and I see that you, like, obviously enjoy it. But, like, where do you like what? I don't want to ask the stupid question, like, what's your favorite thing to eat? But is your mom a great cook? My Does she cook other stuff than Korean food? You know, when she does, we're like, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Like, are you good? No, but my mom makes the most amazing Korean food. Some might even say better than Korean restaurants. Except for like, you know, Korean barbecue kind of have to go just for the experience. But um, my mom is so good at cooking. Like at one point I told my dad, I was like, I need mom to travel with us because I can't eat your like grilled onions and pasta anymore. Like I need something else. Like I need mom's food. And um, when I was 16, she quit her job as well. And she started traveling with us. 16, 17. Yeah. And in her mindset, it was like, my daughter's going to turn 18 soon. And she travels a lot more now. So I want to be with her every step of the way and just enjoy the last couple years of her being my little baby before she can literally be an adult and go to jail. My my first thought about being 18, like right when I turned 18, I was like, dude, I could go to jail now. It's, it's I, a real feeling. Yeah, no, I was like, I all I can do is go to jail and drive and have no curfew of driving. Like that was that was what I was like kind of excited. I was excited about the no curfew thing, but I was nervous about like going to jail. Not that I'm going to do anything, but it's just like the thought that made me nervous. Um, but my parents have been so amazing and so understanding. My dad is what he just turned 62 and my mom is like 44 maybe 45 so there's there's a really big age gap there but I think it really did help balance the family out my dad is very old-fashioned had a flip phone for a really long time (laughs) until he discovered the smartphones and he could watch YouTube videos on it without having wi-fi on a computer so he's really blown away by that But, you know, there are just some things that my dad didn't understand about me, like being a teenager, me being grumpy all the time. He would always get in the biggest fights. But once my mom stepped in, everything mellowed out because my mom would understand because she was there, too. She was a teenage girl at one point and totally understood what I was feeling. So when I'd get in a fight with my dad, I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. But when I got in a fight with my mom, I was like, oh, no, I am done. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I was I was always a little more scared. Totally, of my mom. totally jealous of your relationship. I thought that a Korean parent relationship was the same for like everyone, but obviously it hasn't. And uh, I'm definitely envious. So <laughs> I don't even know how else to describe any of this. There's a lot of emotions there. But um, <laughs> where do you like to eat out in LA? What's your go-to? What's your what, like? Let's just say In and Out versus Shake Shack. In and Out. In and Out. For what's, sure. What's your order? Number two, protein wrap. Burger, animal style. I like the lettuce wrap a little better than the bread. Okay. I just feel less full and I can actually move. <laughs> what about the French fries? I just like them. I like them um, well done sometimes. Extra. Do you extra get those crispy. animal style too? No. I like the classic fries with the ketchup or mustard sometimes, but... French fries with mustard. Yeah, you should try it. It's good. What? Yeah. You've never had that? No. No way. No, 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 no. My mom used to mix ketchup, mustard, and mayo all together. Wow. And it was like a, it kind of tasted like the animal style. Like yeah, sauce. it's a little bit, a little yeah. bit, I'm sure. And um, 
you're going to Switzerland in October. We talked about fondue. I think fondue is a misunderstood thing. So what is the fondue that you like the most in Switzerland? Because like it can be just cheese too, but they also have the one that's in oil, right? Where it's like just a pot of oil and you can almost like put food in it. I've had the one with like a warm soup. That might be shabu shabu. Yeah. A little bit like shabu yeah. shabu. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't had the one in oil. What? Maybe I'm out of my mind, but the last time I was there, it was like Sichuan hot pot, but just a cauldron of oil. And you could like, same skewers, and you could just put it into the oil and it would like fry it. It was sort of awesome. Was it good? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty All good. Right, I'm going to try that. I mean, chocolate fondue is pretty good because, um, you know, you got the Swiss chocolate, which is amazing. It's like the best chocolate ever. But I like the classic cheesy fondue. I don't like it too whiny because sometimes it is really whiny. And I feel like, I don't know, sometimes I'm like super crazy. Yeah, they put Kirsch in it, right? The cherry, cherry liqueur. Yeah. And I just think I'm getting drunk off of it when I'm not. But it's just like, it just smells so strong that right. I'm like, my parents are like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you acting like that? I'm like, I don't know. I think I'm buzzed from the fondue. <laughs> They're like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and like you travel all the time. Like what's your go-to to eat when you're on the road? Do you eat airplane food? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a brat, but <laughs> I mean, now when I go international, I just feel like business. So I feel like so nice. the food there is a little nicer. So yeah, sometimes I'll eat it. Okay, when I was flying back from Korea, I had the weirdest breakfast. It was like on the menu, it said it was a crepe with ham and cheese and like a sweet cream cheese sauce thing. For I thought it was with the fruit. So like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Let me get that. It was a crepe, like a sloppy pancake with cream cheese filling stuff inside that was like really weird and too tangy. And then the ham and cheese was on the side. And I took one bite and I could not eat it. And my mom ordered the same thing. And we both looked at each other. We're like, oh, God, and had to just take it away. But, you know, sometimes planes have really nice steaks yeah. and mashed potatoes. It's gotten a lot better. Yeah, it has. And when you're in hotels— and with your team, are you usually ordering room service or room service it's always, for what's the your room win. service order? Fries. I always want fries when I'm at a new hotel. Truffle Parmesan fries. So good. Oh, what was the last thing I ordered room service? I think I ordered like a fruit platter and sliders. I like greasy foods. Greasy after, food. After flying. <laughs> well, I could ask a ton of questions, but I don't want to take any more of your time. <laughs> uh, Chloe Kim, thanks for joining us. Thanks Today, for having me. Reunited. I can't I I can't believe that you're here. I couldn't even believe that I I saw you in Korea <laughs> during the Olympics. So thanks again. Well, you made my Korea trip because I was going through hell during that whole media tour and you hooked it up with that trio sandwich. That's so bad for you because <laughs> everyone wanted a piece of you. I know. I don't know how I would just be the biggest jerk. I don't know how you My last interview, I pretty much fell asleep during the interview. It was like <laughs> two in the morning. I was just like, yeah, no, I'm really happy to be here. You know what I was bummed about? You did the Today Show after us and they did churros to you too. I was like, they took my idea. Here's what better. <laughs> well, thank you for the support. <laughs> of course. All right, Chloe. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening to the Dave Chang Show. If you liked it, please give us five stars on Apple Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Take it easy.